Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, it's the one time of year I wear pink. Is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. Well, it is that time of year, of course, where we give special celebration and attention to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's so secret. That's why Christians gather on, on uh, Easter Sunday, right? That's what most churches give attention to. And that's important, right? Because as we find ourselves bombarded by horrible news headlines every day, as we experience the difficulties of life in this world, as, as we experience illness, sickness, relational suffering, financial loss, all those things, the fear of what could happen tomorrow. We need to be reminded of the resurrection. Consider for a moment, what are the greatest fears that humanity faces? Think about that. What are the greatest fears humanity faces? And we, we may look at the headlines to get our answers there. Uh, some may say sickness, right? We saw COVID-19 through the world into an uproar. Uh, some might say suffering at the hands of evil people, right? We see school shootings in the news. That is a big fear today. Some might say being alone. All of these fears plague the modern man. Yet there is one universal fear that nearly all humanity experiences. And that is the fear of death. The fear of death. But for some people, the, the fear of death comes from uh, what they know will happen after they die. And they are scared to die because they don't want to go through whatever comes next. Now for others, the fear of death comes because they don't know what will happen after they die. And that fear of the unknown paralyzes them. Maybe you find yourself in one of those two categories. In fact, the Bible speaks of the fear of death as something that Satan has used throughout history to keep people from Christ. But friends, the glorious truth that we will get to see this morning is that through his death and resurrection, Christ has not only destroyed Satan's power, but he has also delivered his people from slavery to the fear of death. And he has liberated us to find true freedom, true joy, and true hope in him. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. That's our text for this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And we will read together. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Lord, we thank you for the truths that are on the pages of Scripture. Lord, as we heard in Psalm 19, uh, your word is precious, more precious than gold. That your word actually has an effect in us and in our hearts. That it enlightens our eyes, that it revives our souls, that it refreshes us. Lord, truly, we need your word. And on this Easter morning, as we come to consider what Christ has done through his death and resurrection, Lord, I pray that you would use your word in a mighty way today, that our attention and our hope would be firmly fixed upon Christ. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding of your word today, and we ask this in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Now, at first glance, it seems that our text this morning is only about Jesus' incarnation and his death. Those are the things that jump off the page at us. But in reality, these words that we've just read uh, depend entirely on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They depend entirely upon the resurrection. That we've just read about how Jesus came to destroy the devil and his power, and how Jesus came to deliver his people from death. But without the resurrection, neither of these things happens. Now, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, some very interesting words. Turn there with me, 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll flip back to Hebrews in a moment. But 1 Corinthians 15, a well-known chapter on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 13, we read this. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. To put it simply, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, if all he did was, was be born of the Virgin Mary and die on the cross, if that's all that happened, then we have no hope. That's what Paul just told us, right? So God's word just said that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, there is no hope. Now, fortunately for us, Paul goes on to proclaim, we read in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And for this reason, our hope is not in vain. So as we come to our text in Hebrews this morning, right, all that is to say that we must understand that while Jesus' birth, his life, his death are in view here, the resurrection is what seals the deal. The resurrection is what seals the deal. Uh, nothing really happens if the resurrection does not happen. Christ died and remained dead, we would have no hope that the devil was defeated. If, if Christ died and remained dead, we would have no hope of eternal life. We'd have no hope of the forgiveness of sins. But since he is risen, we have hope in these things and more. Uh, the title of our sermon this morning is The Resurrection of Christ, Destruction and Deliverance because we see in our text that Christ does two things through the resurrection. Uh, one, he dies and rises to destroy the devil. In verse 14 and in verse 15, he dies and rises to deliver his people. Now, let's look at our first point in verse 14. Christ dies and rises to destroy the devil. Now, throughout human history, uh, human beings have been consumed with the question of what it means to be a human being, right? In some ways, that's the essence of philosophy, right? What does it mean to be human? What's the human condition? What's that all about? And part of what it means to be a human being, biblically, is to have a body. It's to have a body, right? We, we focus on the soul a lot in Christianity, right? We talk about, you know, we need to have our souls saved, and that's all, that's all true, but we also need to recognize that part of being human, part of uh, being a created being, is having a body. That's how God made us to exist, body and soul, 
right? God has made us that way. And the author of Hebrews speaks to this reality in verse 14. He says, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. And we can look back to verse 13 and see uh, that the children here are those that uh, Jesus says, God has given me. These are those that the Father has given to Christ, that the Father has put into his hand. As we continue down into our text this morning, we see that those children share in flesh and blood, that we have created physical bodies. And, and as we know too well, these created physical bodies begin to break down over time. Right? They, they, they begin to fall apart. They don't work as well as they should, and eventually they die. Right? That's what happens to all of us. And we're talking here about Christ rising from the dead. We're talking about the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who's fully God and who existed with the Father from eternity past. And yet, in verse 11, the author of Hebrews says that uh, Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers. Christ is not ashamed to call us weak and sinful people who are created beings, right? He, our creator, we, his creation, and yet he calls us brothers. How can this be? How can this be? Well, we read something quite amazing here in verse 14. Since we ourselves share in flesh and blood, since we have humanity, human bodies, since Christ came to save those who have flesh and blood, what did he do? He himself partook of the same things. Christ himself partook of the same things. Now think about that for a minute. The Son of God partook of the very flesh and blood that you and I possess. He came for the sake of human beings in order to save human beings. He took on a genuine human nature, a genuine human body, a genuine human soul. The Son of God became man without losing any of his godness, his deity. He walked among mankind. He lived a human life. He was born to the Virgin Mary, a Jewish man born under the law. Growing from an infant to a man, eating, sleeping, dreaming, getting sick. He can sympathize with us and our own weaknesses as humans, but without sin. Without sin. And so we read in verse 14, he takes on a genuine human nature, flesh and blood, for a specific reason. To die. To die. He partook of flesh and blood that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Jesus took on a human body to die, that he would destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. 1 John 3.8 speaks to this aspect of Christ's work. It says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And indeed, Christ dies and rises to destroy the devil, to nullify his power, to nullify his power. We read here that the devil has the power of death. It's a very interesting phrase, isn't it? That doesn't mean the devil makes people die. It's not what the author of Hebrews is describing here. Life and death belong to God alone, right? So in what sense does the devil, Satan, that evil angel, have the power of death? What is it that Christ is removing from him here? Well, in one sense, the devil introduced death into the world when he tempted Eve and through Eve, Adam, and led them to sin in the Garden of Eden. God had told our first parents that the day they ate of the forbidden fruit, they would surely die. And that's exactly what Satan wanted. 
It's exactly what Satan wanted. He wanted to separate Adam and Eve from God physically and spiritually through sin. And through his successful temptation, he brought death into the world. But beyond that, Satan actually uses the reality of death to his advantage against us. On one hand, uh, Satan influences people to be terrified of death. Afraid of what's after this life. And, and, and through that fear of death, leads people to do all kinds of things to try to, to appease God. Right? There's many people who believe that there is a judgment after this life. And maybe they're not even Christians, but they believe that. And, of course, we as Christians believe that to be true. And so they do all kinds of things to try to secure a place in heaven. I'll do these good deeds so that when that final day comes, I'll get a, a, a stamp on my ticket and I'll get to enter in. Right? I'm, I'm afraid of death and what's after death, so I'm going to do these good things to try to avoid that. It's really motivated by fear, isn't it? Uh, others, Satan may influence, to uh, be so afraid of death that they cling to whatever they can in this life, right? Where you store up your possessions for the here and now, and all that matters is building your business or growing your career or having the perfect this or that or what have you, and trying to ignore the dark clouds of whatever you fear lies after this. And there's a natural sense, right, where we should fear death. Uh, again, right, we, we encounter a bear in the woods and we're going to be afraid of that, right? That's okay. But fear of death is something that Satan uses quite skillfully to keep human beings from where true hope can be found. He, he uh, may direct us to look at our good deeds. That'll, that'll be our hope. Or our possessions. That'll be our hope. But not Christ. On the other hand, Satan exercises the, the power of death when he influences people to view death as the end of existence. Right? That's it. This life is all there is. There's nothing that comes after, so live the best, most pleasurable life you can now while you have it, right? Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, right? Just do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. Doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, just do whatever makes you happy because you only have so much time. You got to pack it all in there, right? And in this sense, Satan uses death to lead people into wickedness, into sin. Under the guise of, well, just you need to have these experiences and go do these things because you don't know how much time you have. And for others, Satan influences them to simply ignore death entirely. We just don't think about it, right? We just don't think about it. It's not going to happen to me, <laughs> right? Does one of those ways describe how you approach life and death? So Satan's power of death really comes down to the way that he uses Fear of death to lead people into either despair that there's no hope after this or into a life of sinful pleasure or into a life of living for here and now without any thought about the inevitability of death and considering what comes after. Uh, but none of these things was what man was designed for. You, God did not create you to live in despair. God did not create you to live without hope. God did not create you to live for the here and now. God did not create you to do whatever makes you happy. That's not why you were made. And none of those ways of living actually deal with the reality of life and death. None of those things actually bring you to a true and saving hope. They're just distractions, really. But we read here that through death, Jesus destroys the one who has the power of death. That's what verse 14 tells us. And we know this is the devil he's, he's referring to here. And the Bible does tell us that the, at the end of the age, Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. But the author of Hebrews is referring to something else here. 
This word destroy in the Greek really describes nullifying something, neutralizing it, making it powerless. So the author of Hebrews isn't saying that Jesus makes Satan disappear through the resurrection. He's really saying that he makes Satan powerless, completely powerless over his people. In other words, Jesus is completely removing the power of death from Satan's hands when it comes to Jesus' people, when it comes to the children that God has given him. He's completely neutralized Satan. How? Yes, through death, but through the resurrection. If Jesus stayed dead, he himself would be under the power of death. But that's not what we're celebrating today. Jesus had to take on humanity in order to die for us, didn't he? And he died for us that he might rise again and destroy the devil's power. You see, the devil's only real weapon is to attempt to lead souls away from Christ and into hell. That's the best he can do. But this power no longer works. It is no longer uh, authoritative over those who belong to Christ. It no longer has a grip on them anymore for those that Christ came to die and rise for. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is nothing short of death's defeat and Satan's defeat. 2 Timothy 1.10 speaks of how Jesus abolished death. I love that. Abolished death. He just shut it down and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what Jesus does through the resurrection. That, that, that through rising again, Jesus removes the power of death over his people, the very power that Satan had exploited for thousands of years. So through the resurrection, death has been abolished, and true hope has been brought to life. And yes, we do still die, right? We do still die. But the sting of death is gone. For what do we know? We know our souls are secure in Christ. We know Satan cannot touch them. While in the past, Satan may have caused us to fear and despair over death. Maybe he's causing some of you to do that this very morning. In the past, he had caused us to ignore death completely. The Bible tells us when we believe in the Savior who rose from the dead, that we are forgiven of our sins. And we can know that the resurrection of Jesus proves our sins have truly been forgiven. And that our souls belong to him. Romans 4.25 describes how Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, for our sins, and raised for our justification. Raised that we would be considered righteous by God the Father. And because Jesus rose from the dead, friends, we can have confidence that the Father accepted His sacrifice on the cross in our place. That's the Father's stamp of approval. Think think about it for a a minute. Think about some of the things Jesus said. Uh, He claimed deity. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be a sacrifice for the sins of his people. Now, for any ordinary person to say those things, that would be blasphemy. Let's be honest about that. If you and I were to go around saying, hey, everybody, I'm God. You need to do what I say. You need to believe in me for your sins to be forgiven. That would be blasphemy. And do you think that God would erase a blasphemer from the dead? I don't think so either. And that is not what we see. We see the Father sending an angel to roll back the tomb, sending his own messenger, raising Jesus from the dead. That is a stamp. The Father saying, Believe my Son. His words are true. I have raised him from the dead as my stamp of approval. 
And if Jesus' death and resurrection has given us a once and for all forgiveness of our sins, then we no longer need to try to do good works to avoid the judgment of God. We can do them out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, but we don't do them out of fear. We don't do them out of fear. That's gone. We no longer need to live for this life only since we know what really uh, matters and what really lasts comes after this. We no longer need to be apathetic about death and just pretend it's not going to be there. And we don't need to grieve death without hope because we can rejoice that Jesus has defeated death and instead for his people has turned death into a blessing through which we receive eternal life. And since these things are true, what power can Satan have over you if you are a Christian? None at all. What can Satan say to you that Christ has not already thunderously spoken to that Easter morning? If, if Satan says you are a great sinner, how do you know you're forgiven? Why would God love you? Why would God forgive your sins? We can say, well, I believe in the Savior who rose from the dead to prove my sins are forgiven. If Satan says to you, this life is all that matters. Make it last. Death is coming. Make it last. We can say, because Jesus rose from the dead, I know this life is only the beginning of what God has in store for me. If Satan says, death doesn't really matter, just, just ignore it. We can say, death is the enemy of all people. But our great Savior is mighty enough to defeat it. And so I need not fear it. What power can Satan have over us in light of the resurrection? Jesus, through death and through his resurrection, has destroyed the one who has the power of death. But not only does Jesus remove Satan's power from us through his death and resurrection, he also delivers us from death itself. And that's our second point that we see in verse 15. He dies and rises to deliver his people. The author of Hebrews tells us in, uh, again, verse 15 here, that Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We read in verse 14, he comes and renders Satan powerless, removes the power of death that Satan used against us, but he doesn't stop there. He also delivers us. He also delivers us. This word deliver means to set free, to liberate, to rescue, to redeem. Jesus comes to set his people free from what? From slavery. From slavery to fear of death. This is an echo of the exodus, of the Passover that was celebrated uh, that Friday before Easter Sunday. Death itself is described in Scripture as something that has a hold on all humanity. Something inescapable, and it has been since the Garden of Eden. Isaiah 25, verse 7, describes death as the covering which is spread over all people. All people. Psalm 89, 49 poses the question, what man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, of the grave? And in one sense, of course, the answer is nobody. The answer is nobody. Nobody has the power to overcome death. You don't have that power. No one has the power to escape death. No one has the power to stop or reverse death. I, I saw a news article the other day. It said scientists have figured out a way to maybe stop aging, but not death, right? Which realistically, it's really just slowing down aging a, a lot, right? But death is inescapable. 
death is inescapable. You can make it through life without financial ruin. You can make it through life without a major illness or divorce or losing your career or what have you. You cannot escape death. It comes for all of us. No human being can escape it. And ultimately, that is because all human beings sin. All people break God's commands. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And we know that Christ himself died. We remember that on Good Friday two days ago. And we've read that in our text this morning. And we've, uh, we've considered these things in depth over the past few days. I grew up in church, and it took me a very, very long time to understand why Jesus actually had to die. And maybe some of you wonder about that too. After all, Jesus was supposed to be perfect, right? So why did he die? Why did he die? If we die for our sin, why did he die if he was perfect? Well, he died for sin, but not for his own sin, for the sin of his people. He willingly stood in our place to die for our sins to take the punishment that you and I rightfully deserved for the ways we have broken God's law, the things we've done wrong, internally, in our hearts, externally. So Jesus' death is for sin, not his, but ours. But if Jesus, again, had stayed dead, we would really have no guarantee that our sins are forgiven. We would have no guarantee our sins are forgiven. Right after all, if Christ died and stayed dead, what makes him different? from you and I. We would have no guarantee that a truly perfect sacrifice had been offered. If he stayed dead, how, do, how would we not know that he had died for maybe one sin he had committed sometime during his life? We'd have no guarantee that Christ's death in our place was accepted by the Father, would we? If Christ stayed dead, what hope would we have? We would still be in slavery through the fear of death. And consider that picture for a moment, that, that slavery uh, through fear of death that the author of Hebrews describes here. The fear of death that keeps mankind enslaved. In what way? How does it do that? <clears throat> well, I think it's like every good hostage movie. right? The bad guys take a hostage and they threaten to do all these bad things to the hostage to make the hostage's family or the government or the police do what the bad guys want. Or, or, or maybe, you know, they steal a nuclear bomb or they've got a super weapon or whatever it is, right? Then they're going to use these weapons, right? Their, their death laser from outer space on planet Earth. They're going to use that unless everyone else does what they say. They are using fear to control people. They're using fear to control people. I think that's a picture of what we see here, right? I'm sure that's not what uh, the Holy Spirit was necessarily intending to illustrate for us, death lasers and nuclear bombs, but I think it's an analogy here. Fear of death can be something that controls us. And we've already talked about how Satan uses that. So how then does Jesus deliver us from this enslaving fear of death? That is the reason we're celebrating today. He rose from the dead. Jesus died so that he could overcome death for us. Death could not hold him. The Apostle Peter, after Jesus had ascended into heaven in Acts, 24, uh, Acts 2, excuse me, verse 24, proclaimed that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. If you and I were to die for our own sins, death would have a legitimate claim on us. The grave could say, nope, you're mine. Yep, you're here now, here to stay. But it could not make that claim on Christ. He had no sin in himself. He had done nothing wrong. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made he who had no sin 
sin, our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He had no sin, which is hard for us to even conceive of because our lives seem to be at times just an unending cycle of sin. And yet Christ, in his thoughts, in his deeds, in his actions, everything was perfect without sin. While he bore our sins and took God's wrath on the cross, death could not keep him. Could not keep him. But instead, Jesus rose from the dead in triumph and victory. He is sinless. He is the God of life and was able to overcome the grave for us because death could not keep him. Yes, death still exists. We know that. But what is its ultimate power for those who trust in Christ? Yeah, we might fear the process of dying. Right? We might fear the pain or the, the discomfort, or we may fear those last thoughts we might have in life, right? And that's, that's natural. But what enslaving fear can we have for what comes after death? What enslaving fear can we actually have of death itself? Death is simply the last enemy to be defeated by Christ. Right? That's what death is. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of fearing death, instead of being subject to a lifelong slavery through the fear of death, Christ has delivered us from the ultimate sting and power and, and, and really the, the victory of death. And instead, he has given us his victory in his resurrection. I love what Jesus says in Revelation 1, 17 and 18. He says, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. What a picture that is, right? I've got the keys to the house, right? Jesus is the master of the house. He's got the keys. When Satan used to have the power of death, Christ now holds the keys of death and Hades. It's powerless before him. Death and Hades cannot keep Christ's people locked up any longer. So brothers and sisters, Christ came to deliver us from the devil, from death, from sin. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus gives us a true hope. And all of his promises are ours. He's removed the devil's ability to ruin our souls or threaten us with judgment and condemnation. He has finished those things for us entirely. We belong to Him now, the children that the Father has given Him. But through His death and resurrection, Christ deals with the wages of sin. He's fully paid our debt. He's satisfied the demands of the law, the punishment for sin. We no longer need to fear the wrath of God for our sin because Jesus has taken it in our place. So what's left for us to do? Rest in the forgiveness He has secured for us. Rest in the forgiveness He has secured for us. How do you know you're going to go to heaven? Your answer should not be because I've done all these good deeds here. I've done all these great works. I'm a really good person. I'm an okay person. I'm a good enough person, right? Those, those are not good answers. No, the answer that Scripture gives us is because of what Christ has done for me. 
I'm going to rest in that. Through his death and resurrection, Christ has conquered death. It no longer has the last word over us. And instead, we can view death as a vanquished foe, a defeated enemy, a door through which we receive that entrance into eternal life. That God is so powerful and so mighty that he can take something so bad like death and turn it into something that brings good for his people. We can have assurance of that because Christ rose from the dead. Jesus took on flesh that he might die. He died that he might rise. And he rose that you and I would be liberated and delivered from the sting and the fear of death. Jesus died and rose that we would be forgiven when we trust in him. And that instead of fearing what death holds for us, we can now triumph over death in Christ. Since he's given us the gift of eternal life in his resurrection. Christ rose from the dead to deliver us, and he promises in his word that we will rise with him. In John 6.40, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you're here this morning and you have not trusted Christ, if you do not believe that he alone is the sufficient Savior, and I, I want to be direct, and I want to be honest with you, and I want to tell you this because I, I, I do care about you. You will face death on your own. You will face death on your own. You will face judgment on your own. You will have no defender but yourself. And I promise you, you will not be able to make a compelling case in the court of heaven. But Christ, as we just heard, he calls you, he invites you to look on him, to believe in him, to trust in him and come to him in faith, turning from your sin, that you too can receive that free gift of eternal life, that you too can receive deliverance from your sin, from death, from Satan, that you can have the promise of the resurrected Lord. That's the gift of Easter. And indeed, Isaiah 25 rings true for all who hope in the risen Christ. Words of death's destruction and our deliverance, verses 7 and 9, speaks of how God will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And we get to do that very thing this morning. That through the resurrection of Christ, we have been delivered. We have been saved. And we may rejoice in his salvation. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, you are mighty to save. And Lord, truly an amazing thing to consider. Our need for a Savior. That as we read this morning, Lord, we were once under the power of death. 
under Satan's domain, held captive, Lord, by fear. And yet you, Lord Jesus, in humbling yourself to take on flesh and blood like us, that you might die and that through death would render Satan powerless over us, that you would remove from us that yoke of slavery, that fear that we were subject to. And Lord, in all honesty, in ourselves, by our own sin, we, we had good reason to fear death. We had no true desire to be in your kingdom. But Lord, you've been so gracious to us. Towards undeserving sinners like us. And Lord, as you yourself said, you did not come for the righteous, but for sinners to seek and save the lost, to die and rise for the lost. And Lord, we thank you that you have found us, that you have saved us, that you have given us the gift of eternal life. Indeed, a great cost to you, the cost of your own life. And yet we rejoice this morning, for you took up that life three days later, rising again from the grave, that we would be delivered, that we would be set free, that we would be forgiven of our sins, restored and reconciled to a holy God. Lord, all of this, just a, a gift that we have received by faith. So, Lord, as we go today, pray that you would help us to live in light of the resurrection, not to live as if Death is the last word, not to live uh, for the here and now, not to live for ourselves, but rather to realize and remember, and remember again and again and again that you have risen from the dead, Lord Jesus. And because of that, our work, our labor done for you, it's not in vain. Our faith, it's not in vain. Our sins have been forgiven. We truly have hope. Lord, I pray that that would be something that sustains each and every one of us, no matter what we are going through or whatever we are dealing with, but that the hope of the resurrection would not just be a theological idea or, or a, a neat little holiday thought, but that it would be the foundation of our hope. That we would live as those who have been set free from Satan's power and from the fear of death. Lord, may that affect our relationships with one another. May that affect the way we come to you. May, we, may that affect the way that we come to your word. That the things it speaks of are true. Be with us, Lord, this Sunday. We pray that you would lift up our hearts in joy that Christ has risen and that we have been delivered. And Lord, we pray all of this in your Holy name. Amen.